0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Great. Well, we're going to continue in our brand new sermon series that we kicked off last Sunday. Does anybody remember what what it's called? Let me hear it again. Builders, builders. So we're talking about builders right now. So uh, one of the things that I want to do during this sermon series on builders is I want to choose some biblical builders that built something significant for the kingdom of God. And I want to profile them. I want to examine choices that they made, decisions that they made. And I want to work to extract principles from their lifestyle that we can not only learn from, but also apply to our lifestyles so that we can be builders, big builders that build something significant for the kingdom of God. How many of you, you want to be a big builder for the kingdom? Come on. Yeah, me too. Me too. So open your Bible today to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. I don't know that I've ever even preached a sermon here uh, from the book of Nehemiah, so there's a first time for everything. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Hey, I want to say for anybody in the room, um, this is your first time here. Perhaps you spent some time this week Googling, searching for churches because you've been disturbed. For the last 10 to 14 days about the conflict that's happening in the Middle East, I know a lot of people right now are having a hard time internally processing a lot of what's happening in our world. And so if you are here today because you are looking for sanctuary, can I just be one of many to tell you, welcome home. You're, you're safe here. We love you. We want to pray for you. We want to cover you. We want to bless you. Uh, We want to extend the covering of God over you and speak protection and peace over your life, all right? So if you're here and that's you, and even if you've been coming for a long time, but you are internally in shambles today, I want to speak peace over you. And I pray that even as we research the book of Nehemiah today, that God's word would speak to you. Even this historical record would speak to some contemporary events and would bring you peace knowing that God is in charge all right god is in charge so nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 i want it i want to ask you to stand today because i'm just going to kind of y'all want to stand i won't ask you to stand man look at look at my church man praise god i'm so blessed this church honors the word of god somebody said that's my church That's my church. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakilah. Now, it happened the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, his actual sibling, not the priest that you'll read about later, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning God's city, Jerusalem, where God's house is. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Hananiah brought some really bad news to his brother. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The topic today is a zeal to build. A zeal to build. Go ahead and stay standing now that we're up here, and let's pray, all right? So, Lord, we thank you for your word, for everlasting truth that is always faithful to transform each and every one of us As we come before it with a humble heart and an open spirit. God, we ask today that you would sow seeds into good soil. That you would burden us like Nehemiah. Lord, we're asking that Jesus would define the church for us. Not pop culture, not current events. But Jesus would define the church and that you would transform us all into builders in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. On your way to your seat, look at your neighbor and say, you're a builder. That's it. All right, let's go through some context of this passage of Scripture, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in this moment, is a Jew living in exile, and he's living in modern-day Iran. So, he's living under the Persian Empire, and where he lives is about a thousand miles from the city of God, from the house of God, from Jerusalem, and he's serving there as the cupbearer to the king. And so, that, that, that's what he's doing at the time that his brother and a few friends show up all the way from Judah. Now, this is about a four-month journey. It's tough to make it any quicker, all right? It's a 1,000 miles. Back in the day, uh, Hanani and uh, some friends, they make that journey 1,000 miles, four months away. They come all the way to where uh, Nehemiah is under the Persian Empire rule, and they bring him some tragic news, and they say, Nehemiah, our people, our families, they are surrounded by evil, and their names have been disgraced. The walls of the city, the city that you love, the city of God, they are broken down. And all of the gates that are there have been destroyed by fire. There is no protection for the people of God. We are in desperate need of builders. Now, Nehemiah's response expresses, I believe, the type of love that we all should have for the house of God. Whenever... His love for his family and his love for God's city produces uh, this emotional response. The Bible says he can't even stand up anymore. He has to go and he has to sit. And as he sits down, he begins to weep. He continues and he mourns for days. It's not like just five minutes. He mourns for days like somebody has died and truth be told, they probably had. So he's mourning, he's weeping, and he's praying, and he's not only praying, but he is also fasting. He says, I am burdened, and I am grieved to the point of weeping, mourning, praying, and I'm not stopping at praying. I'm going to push away the plate, and I am going to fast as I cry out to God for deliverance for God's people. That's where Nehemiah is at. That is love expressed for the house of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got family out of state. Anybody else got family out of state? They don't live here in Tennessee. Anybody got family that lives a thousand miles away? Right? You don't get to see them that often. Can you imagine having a brother or a sister, a sibling, come to you from all that way away and share with you news like Hanani and I shared with nehemiah that day they come to you and they say our family is in really big trouble our name our good family name has been disgraced we we have been shamed where we're from our houses they're all burned down and our hometown where we grew up has been completely destroyed let me ask you how would you respond I would assume that you would respond much like Nehemiah. You would probably sit down. You'd say, I don't want to stand right now hearing this tragic news. You would probably weep. You would probably mourn. You probably wouldn't get over it quickly. And you would probably pray and fast. I believe that. So let's continue on down the story now and see what happens. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art... I can never get this guy's name right. My wife knows. art Zertz. Zert. It just doesn't work for a Kentuckian. art azert Uh King Art. King Art, that's his name for today Uh, when wine was before him I took up the wine and I gave it to the king remember Nehemiah's job is to be the cupbearer to the king so he has a very respected influential position now I had not been sad in his presence Nehemiah says and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick this is nothing but sadness of heart king calls him out and then I was very much afraid Nehemiah says I said to the king let the king live forever Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, well, what are you requesting then? So I I prayed to the God of heaven. Can you imagine how quick that prayer was? Listen, some of us need to get this. Some of the most powerful prayers are quick prayers. Some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible are short prayers. Some of the most effective prayers that we pray, we don't even pray out loud. He said, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah is a builder. Nehemiah had taken some time off of work to mourn, to pray, to fast. But even after a little break, he still couldn't keep his composure, bringing wine to the king. He was visibly heartbroken despite trying to remain professional. Can you imagine him? He's, you know, he's trying to do his job. You know, he's put oil on his head. He's wiped his face. He's you know, presented himself well. But the king calls him out. He says, oh no, this is nothing more than sadness of heart. What's going on with you? So after he's asked what's up, Nehemiah prays and he says, I want you to send me home because I've got an assignment on my life. I'm a builder, and there's no way that I can be tolerant of the fact that the city of my God, that the house of my God, that the city of my people and the house of my people lies in ruins. There's no way that I can tolerate that. I am moved in my spirit to do something. I am grieved to the core. I've got to get up and go to work. Nehemiah is a builder. He says, it's time to build. I got to build. And here's where I want to build a parabolic storyline myself, because I want you to consider some similarities here between Nehemiah and the city of God and where we are today and the house of God. Can we see Jerusalem, the city of God, similarly to the church, the house of God? Because we need to be able to do that in this story. Can we see the remnant people of Jerusalem, Nehemiah's family, similar to fellow believers in the church, our brothers and our sisters? Do we care what happens to our spiritual family? It's a really great question, modern Christians. Is our faith all about us or do we pray our Father? Do we care what happens to our spiritual family? Do we take it personally? Let me ask you another question. Do you care what happens to our spiritual home, our church? Do we take it personally? You know, if there's anything I've learned about builders is that builders take it personally. Because they realize my work is a reflection of me. Builders take it personally. Now, I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, that says this, for zeal for your house consumes me. Consumes me. Uh, I looked that word up in the Hebrew because I just find it fascinating. You know what it means? To be eaten up with. Zeal, passion, intense love. This is David writing this psalm, and he says, Zeal for my God's house eats me up on the inside the intensity of the love and the passion that i have for the house of god is all consuming it has possessed me it eats me up see this was the very same word that was used in hebrew to articulate isaiah's experience whenever he said there is a fire that has been shut up in my bones I will not be silent. You may ask me to be quiet, but I cannot because there is a fire in me and it is eating me up. It is consuming me. This is what David is articulating as he talks about our God's house. He says, zeal for your house has consumed me. And he goes on and he says, and the insults of those who insult you, well, they fall on me. You you, you got a younger sibling. I remember doing this as a kid. Like, hey, 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 hey. Don't be talking bad about my little brother. You want to fight him? You're going to have to get through me first. You know what I'm talking about? See, David wasn't just a builder. David was also a protector. He said, you're going to insult my God? I consider you insulting me. You're going to insult my church? Uh Uh-oh. I consider that an insult to me personally. Why? Because I'm not just a member, I'm a builder. I'm not just a consumer, I'm a contributor. I get to work. I've put myself into the building of this body. I've spilled blood on the foundation. I've sweat on the footer. I've done everything that I can do to ensure that the house of God is blessed. So you wanna talk about my house? Let me let you know I got my reputation connected to this house. And you ain't gonna talk about my house because when you talk about my God's house, you talk about me. Hey, where's that energy today? That's what I want to know. Where is that energy today? David, the man, after, the man who was said to be uh, the one after God's own heart, he's the one who penned these words. His intense love consumed them. Centuries later, whenever Jesus was cleansing the temple, y'all remember that? Like Jesus went through the lobby of the church and he started turning over all the merch tables. <laughs> He was cleansing the temple, and as the disciples watched on, whenever Jesus was doing this prophetic act, they remembered and recited Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. They said, what is happening right now reminds us of a scripture. Zeal for the house of God consumes me. You know what that looks like? Jesus showed us what it looks like. I will not tolerate irreverence. About my God's house. I will not tolerate irreverence happening in my church. What David said it looked like, we also see here in Nehemiah. It is a holy zeal for God's house. And that looks like taking responsibility and taking it personally for everything that happens there. David says, somebody insults you, God, they insult me. Somebody insults your house, God, they're insulting me. David is a builder. That's why David takes it personally. You know, um, if you talk spicy to my wife, I'm going to take it personally. (laughs) Why? Because she's mine. Right? She's my wife. She belongs to me. She's not just some ordinary woman that I kind of know. No, she's my woman. Yes. You see what I'm saying, right? She's part of me. I've taken responsibility for her because she's mine. Whatever happens to her and whatever is said about her, I'm going to take it personally. Yes. Right? I <laughs> Yeah, we, we were in we were in Florida a couple of years ago. I, I never told this story publicly because some people will judge me. But um, we we had just come back from the beach and and we were like we had a hose, you know, it was like connected to the thing there next to the where you just wash your feet off and stuff. And I'm washing all the kids, you know, we got three kids. And this dude comes by and yells at my three year old, move. I'm I'm calculating here. I'm like, pastor on the local news on vacation. I mean, I'm thinking it through deeply and I'm having instant flashbacks to my life pre Jesus. I'm like, this kid's going to die today. I mean, it was It was close. And I said, hey, chill. And uh, he turned around and walked off. He said, you chill. I said, hey, chill. And uh, that was, I guess that was enough. But my friend was there with me, and I walked over. I said, hey, 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 you too, chill. That guy, he's going to get what's coming to him, but it ain't going to happen from a pastor and his best friend. We're not gonna be on the news down here, all right? So let's pray for him right now. In Jesus' name, to chill. But you talk to my kids spicy, I'm gonna take it personal. You talk to my wife spicy, I'm gonna take it personal. You talk to my best friend spicy, I'm gonna take it personal. Why is that? Because they are mine, right? I'm so deeply connected to them that they are a part of me. So, when somebody talks bad about them, I'm gonna get upset. Why is that? Because I'm gonna take it personally. So, why don't we do this for God? And why don't we do this for God's house? David did, Jesus did, Nehemiah did. Nehemiah took it so personally that whenever bad news was delivered to him about the house of God, he sat down and he wept. He mourned for days. He started to pray. He started to fast. All of this was because of a consuming, zealous love for the house of God. And that's point one today. Builders have a zealous love for God's house. A zealous love. I'm talking about the kind of love that agitates other people. Why are you so in love with your church? Because I got zeal and it's consuming me. Why are you so in love with God? Because I've got zeal and it's consuming me. Builders are eaten up with a passion to work on what God has called them to work on. Now, you may build many things in this life aside from God's house, but we cannot build many things instead of God's house as God's people. You may build many things aside from God's house in this life, but you cannot, as God's people, build many things instead of God's house. All of us are called to get involved with the Jesus project, and that is to build the house of God. You may build many great and many wonderful things in your life, but none of what you build in this life will outlast the church. Think about that. Our church is called Legacy for a reason, by the way. Think about that. Whenever you are considering what is worthy of your life's virtue, consider this, that no matter what you build in this life, none of it will outlast the church. Don't you think, then, that the church is deserving of some of your life's virtue? That you would say, I am going to pour my life into the house of God. Am I preaching to the choir today or are we like, you all right? You good? Am I yelling at you? All right. I thought, I'm, I, thought, I, I, thought I might be a little bit too, too intense. We'll slow it down with point two. Builders take healthy ownership of God's house. You talk about my church, you talking about me? I, I, I see churches kind of like, you, you know, mom. Cyprian of Carthage, right? African Bishop. He said, there's no believer that can have God for his father and not have the church as his mother. So in a very real sense, you are talking about the church, you are talking about my mama. You see what I'm saying? And I don't know about you, but I don't tolerate people talking bad about my mama. That's just me. That's just me. You talk bad about my mama, chill. I'm saved, but I will throw hands. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Nehemiah was so deeply affected by Hananiah's news that he didn't stay in a state of defeat and then do nothing. What did he do? He got up and he said, I'm going to get to work. I'm sad by the news. I'm heartbroken by the news, but I'm not going to stay in a state of defeat. I'm not gonna listen to all the bad news about church and decide that it's done for. No, no, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna build, I'm gonna get to work. Also, Nehemiah did not assume that it was somebody else's problem to fix. He didn't say, oh, what a bummer. I heard that bad news about the church. Somebody ought to do something about that. No, 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 he took it personal. He said, no, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna go to work because I'm a builder. Also, Nehemiah did not pile on With the shame that the people were already incurring, he didn't take the opportunity to add disgrace to God's city or God's house. He said, no, I'm a work. I'm a builder. See, when builders choose to take ownership, they do three things. Number one, they take action. Number two, they take responsibility. And number three, they take on God's heart for God's house. I know a lot of people who are willing to work, but I also know a lot of people who have a deformed perspective on the house of God, and that's because bad news about church and about church leaders comes to us all, and unfortunately, somewhat often, we have major networks today creating documentaries about the failures of pastors and churches, and I don't know if you guys have seen those. I've seen some episodes, but my question to us is, are we grieved but actionless, Do we outsource our responsibility to help the body of Christ, or do we say things like, well, that's not my job, that belongs to the pastors? Do we have a deformed perspective on the church of Jesus because of our own hurt? Look, I get it. There's a lot of people today that are suffering from quote-unquote church hurt, and I do not make light of it. But if you have stayed stuck in that state for years, my question to you is when do you forgive? When do you forgive? Because if a Christian is anything, a Christian is a forgiver. Our entire faith is defined by a single moment of Jesus being hung up high and stretched out wide on a cross and what did he say? Forgive them because they know not what they do. If you are in here today and you just decided to try our church out as like the last line of churches that you were willing to visit because you have been so hurt by the body, by the church, by a pastor, can I plead with you today to become a forgiver? Take upon the mantle of your Savior, King Jesus, and say, they did not know what they are doing, but I will forgive them anyway. Because you are called to be a builder. And it's hard to build when you're stuck in bitterness. So we can't stay there. We can't do that. We've got to be like Nehemiah. We've got to take responsibility. We've got to take action. We've got to receive an impartation from Jesus about his heart for his house. Nehemiah didn't make any excuses for inactivity. He didn't wait for somebody else to take responsibility. And he did not allow any disappointment to fester into unrighteous judgments. He said, no, no, I'm a builder. I've got to get to work. It's time to build. And thankfully, you know what? As a result of him making himself available, God's hand moved upon the heart of the king and Nehemiah got to go home to build. Now, let me tell you, builders are a blessed people. Builders are blessed. Builders are blessed, Nehemiah 2 and 8, and the king granted me what I asked for, get this, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Y'all say that with me. Say, for the good hand of my God is upon me. Do you receive that? The good hand of my God is upon me to build. Church, the hand of God is upon me. Builders, If you want to be blessed to build, get involved with what God is building. Let me say it again. If you want to be blessed to build, get involved with what God is building. I know that so many people ask God to bless what they want to build. And they should because we are all equally dependent upon God's blessing. That's true. But... Rather than only asking God to bless what you're building, why not get involved with what he's building because you already know it's blessed. And you know that because the Bible tells you so in Matthew chapter 16, verse eight, whenever Jesus prophesied and promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Guess what? Jesus is still building his church and guess what? The gates of hell have yet to prevail against it. It doesn't matter how much persecution, it doesn't matter politics, it doesn't matter what King Art says or any other king. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Jesus is building his church and God is in the business of blessing builders, especially builders that will build what he's building. You know, one of the things about great builders is they don't care who gets the credit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm not saying we can't have a portfolio or anything like that, but I don't know if you've ever taken a tour like in Chicago, for instance, they have a little river tour. You guys ever been on that thing? And, and 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 you ride through, and they point out all of these big buildings. They're like, this is a big building, right? It's monumental. It's very impressive. And you know what's interesting to me as they point out the different architectural structures. Is they never credit the builder, but the architect. Oh, that's so good. Think about this. They never talk about the building company that erected that structure. Who they talk about is who designed it. They say, this person built it. You know, can you imagine, do I have any architects in here? Okay, nobody, well, somebody's dad is an architect. I love that. Uh, I thought I wanted to be an architect as a kid, and then I realized how much math was involved, and I said, I quit. (laughs) Not much of a mathematician, you know? Don't really enjoy that so much. But, you know, when when you see buildings that are built, you know, you'll see they give all the credit to the architect, right? Not the builder. So we've got to be builders that give all the credit to the architect. Look, I may build this part, you may build that part. It doesn't matter who does what. All I know is I'm building according to a design. And my responsibility is not to get so creative and inventive that I start doing whatever I feel like doing on that particular day because I've got a blueprint that I'm responsible for building in accordance to. And if I build off of the blueprint, guess what happens to all of my work? It gets destroyed. Woo! It got quiet, didn't it? It gets destroyed and that's what the apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament. He said, there's coming a day of judgment and whenever fire shows up, we're gonna learn what kind of materials that you've been building with. Are you building with materials that were given to you by men and pop culture? Or are you building with everlasting materials that come to you from the kingdom of God? Are you building something that's going to outlast you? Or are you building something just for you? Because here's what God's people are called to do. They're called to be builders. Isaiah 58, 12, your people. Everybody say, that's me. will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets with dwellings. That's who we are. That's who the people of God are. We are builders. You know why? Because our God is a builder. On the other hand, the devil is nothing more than a destroyer. In hell, it is always demo day. John 10, 10, the thief's purpose, who's that? The devil is to steal, is to kill, and what else? Destroy, Destroy, to demolish. It's always demo day in hell. On the other hand, in heaven, they always building. I go to prepare a place for you. I tell you the truth. In my father's house, we've been building. There are many mansions up there. You see what I'm saying? Heaven blesses builders. Where on the other hand, hell is threatened by builders. This is why whenever Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church, he also says, hey, by the way, the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it because he knows when you start building with me, you will be opposed by hell. When you start building according to my blueprint, you better get ready, get ready, get ready. Because hell is going to oppose you. And that's what we see in verse 9. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. I gave them the letters. Now the king had sent me with officers, army, horsemen, but then their sand ballot. Sand ballot? Chill. The Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, they heard this, and what did they do? It displeased them greatly. Why is that? Because someone had come to build for the welfare of the city. Hell hates builders, especially builders that build to bless other people. When you start building for the welfare of other people, hell will oppose you. Jesus knew that, which is why he promised that. On the other hand, if all you build is all about you, the enemy may not mind as much. Because hell would prefer you to stay selfish, not be generous. But when you step in and you step out to bless other people, you can bet the enemy is going to resist you. And that's why point three is this. Builders are prepared to fight for God's house. You don't expect it to be easy. You know a sacrifice is required, which is in verse 11. Uh, You see here, uh, Nehemiah, he starts to go out and, you know, he knows. Hey, I got Sam Ballot over here. This dude's mad. I got Tobiah over here. He big mad. They're all threatened. They all don't want me to build, but I'm here on assignment. So he goes out. Verse eleven. So I went to Jerusalem. I'm there three days. I arose in the night, and a few of men, few of the men with me. See, he's going in undercover, and I told nobody what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. You know, this is something I've noticed about holy builders, zealous builders. Is they don't brag about having a vision to build. They just build. They don't talk about it. They are just about it, right? And this is something that I've noticed about our generation is that we think because we have a vision to build that we are entitled to praise for building. And this is a a great concern to me because whenever you have a vision or a prophetic word or you have a good idea and you post it on social media and everybody praises you for your idea, it's dangerous because you're receiving the rewards of building something without actually building anything. So we've got a whole lot of visionaries and not enough workers. And that's why Jesus said, listen, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? Because the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. I know a lot of people think that today that the harvest is the problem, but the harvest has never been the problem. The problem is with the workforce. Only the front row is shouting me down right now. Uh, Okay, I got you, okay, I got you. All All right, all right, okay. Please bring different energy to the conference. We don't have a harvest problem, we got a labor force problem. And we got people today that are like, I've got a good idea. Yeah, but you haven't done anything yet. You haven't built anything yet. Why do you think that you are entitled to being congratulated when you have not picked up a hammer? Like, all you've done is told me a great idea. That is awesome. I'm grateful for your good idea. But until you get to work, you haven't done anything. And we need to be reminded of that. All right, one time I was, I was riding around Nashville with Pastor Banning Leapshire and, and we were just chatting and, you know, I'm driving and I was starting to tell him about my vision, you know, and I was, t- I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and God's put it in my heart to do this and that and I'm gonna build this and that and he just went quiet on me. And I was like, hey, you hear what I said? I'm gonna, I'm gonna build this and that and he, bro, ain't that cool? That's great, right? And he goes, eh. I'm not really impressed by big vision. I was like, why not? That's good vision. He said, yeah, I'm just not really impressed by big, big vision. I hear big vision all the time. I'm impressed by, by big accomplishment, by big action, by big work. I, 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 I'm impressed by fruitfulness, not intention. But we've got a generation that believes that they are entitled to being congratulated on the basis of their intention. I meant to do great. Yeah, but you never started working. You just played video games. Now, every boomer in this room should be saying amen right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause I see y'all on Facebook. I I don't really ever get on Facebook, but that's where y'all are. And I hear it, I hear it, young man. This generation, they just burned my biscuits. <laughs> Let me see some hard work, right? And I agree, we do need to get to work. You're not gonna get paid because you got great ideas. You're gonna get paid because you produce something. And, I, and this may feel harsh, but it's important for us to hear today, guys. It's important for us to hear today because God is raising up laborers, laborers, laborers laborers, implied by their title. They actually work and they work on behalf of a greater project. It's not just their own selfish inventions. It is a blueprint that comes from Jesus. It is a prophetic promise that has been declared over our lives as his disciples. If we will cooperate and collaborate with the Holy Spirit to build what is in the heart of the Father, then the Holy Spirit will help us and the good hand, the mighty hand of our God will be upon us. God is in the business of blessing builders. So we've actually got to get work get, get work done and build. Point four, builders don't brag about the vision. They just, they, have, they just work to build it. All right, so even if you're not working for the vision of the church, God's church, capital C church, if you've got an ambition that's holy and you want to do, don't brag about it. Just get it done. Just, just get it done. All right, you don't need to brag about it. Other people will brag on you when you do it. Just do it, just get it done. Look at your neighbor and say, get her done. (laughs) Always wanted to sneak Larry the Cable Guy into a sermon. All right, verse 13 through 16, I'll make this part quick. Um, I went out by the night, skip down. Then I went to the fountain gate, the king's pool. There's no room for the animal. Uh, Then I went up by night to the valley and I inspected the wall. I turned back and entered the valley gate, so I returned. So you see what's happening here is that the first thing that Nehemiah does before he begins building is he starts inspecting. And this is really important because before you build, you're going to have to count the cost. And that's what I want to encourage everybody in today. If you are volunteering today, you say, I'm going to be a builder. I want you to count the cost. Much of the cost of building is not just the dollars and cents of purchasing the materials. It's the emotional cost of building. It's the suffering that you're gonna go through in order to complete the project. There's gonna be some days you'll feel like Nehemiah. I'm mourning. There's gonna be some days you're gonna feel like David. Zeal for this house consumes me, but all I'm receiving is insult. You're going to have some experiences like that, but you just continue to build. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 14, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And it's not just, do you have enough material? The question is, do you have enough courage? There's some intangible materials that builders have to lay hold of. They have to fasten to, and they have to say, I believe I got big faith. This project is bigger than anything I've ever built before, but I believe, I know the architect. This is who we are. We are builders. That's point five. Great builders always begin by counting the cost. Don't worry, I've only got six points. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. And this is what I pray prophetically takes place in all of us today. As a house, as a church, as a spiritual family, I pray that each and every one of us in our hearts would have this same sentiment. Let us rise up and build. Let us, you know, you you just kind of like, it's like the end of the, remember the Titans. Just a motivational speech from, you know, it's like the slow clap. It's like a halftime speech. Let us rise up and build. Let us encourage one another with these words. Let us rise up and build. So what they do? They strengthened their hands for the good work. And this is the final step. If you're going to be a builder, you've got to go all in. You can't just observe. you got to get to work. you got to rise up, as they said. You've got to strengthen your hands for the good work, and you've got to build. You know what I love about this scripture is that it tells us to build according to the blueprint of God is a certain type of work. And you know what type of work that is? It is a good work. Building up the house of God, church, is good work work building up the people of god church it is a work that god says is good this is a good work when we give ourselves to building what jesus is building we build a good work and that's point six builders are blessed by god for good works arise strengthen your hands and build arise strengthen your hands and build. Now I looked up this word good. I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for a good word study and I just kind of read any particular word just out of my own curiosity. And I thought, okay, well, what does it mean? A good work? You know, I noticed that the Hebrew word that is used here is the same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis whenever God creates. And then he looks at the end of each day and he says, it is good. That's good right there. That's good. And I believe that even today, God is still creating through us. He's creating through you. He's creating through me. And I believe that his, do- his, his desire remains unchanged. I think that even today, God is looking at the work of our hands as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and build according to the plan of Jesus. And he wants to look at houses of worship and houses of prayer and churches and local churches. And he wants to say it is is good and that's what I'm praying that God would say over our church that he would look at it and say it is it's built according to my plan it's built according to my word every word I spoke has been accomplished with the intent that I spoke it and that's what Paul reminds us of in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 for we are God's handiwork God's craftsmanship. What does that mean? You have been built by God. The next time you look in the mirror, you can just built by God. I am God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what good. There's the same. There's the same word. If you look at the Greek, it's the same word. Good means the same thing. Good works, which pre- which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, you may not think of yourself as a builder, but God thought of you as a builder long before you were even born. So you cannot say you're not a builder because God declared you were one before you were born. You are a builder. God has prepared you in advance for good works. You are called to be a builder. So I encourage you today in the name of Jesus to arise, to strengthen your hands, and to build. Let's stand up, we're gonna pray. If you don't mind, just put your hand on your heart and just say, say it with me. I receive your charge to build. Strengthen my hands for the good work and give me the definition of the local church that Jesus has in his heart. Put it in this heart. Amen. Father, we thank you for being so kind to us, so good to us. Thank you, God, for allowing us the privilege, the opportunity to work on what you're working on. We receive the good work and the charge to arise, and we commit today to arising and building and doing all that you've called us to do. Lord, we know that you are with us in all of our endeavors. You've blessed us to build in every way. And I bless everything that everybody's building in this room, from businesses to careers to families to entrepreneurship to projects, whether they're practical or spiritual. I bless you to build. I bless everything you touch. And I declare in Jesus' name, may it all turn to gold. But may we not be found simply building what is ours. May we be found building as well what is God's. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen amen and amen. Can we bless the Lord together? Thank you, Jesus. Tune in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.